Hi, and welcome to the Kelowna Girl Tries podcast. I'm Barb, and this is episode 123, Sunday, October 28th, 2012. Hope you enjoy it. everybody. Welcome back. I'm not going to give you a, a long training report this week. Um, I've been doing my workouts. I've lost two pounds. I've been really trying to follow the plan and uh, and Tribecatio has been my moto buddy. So we've been kind of helping each other stay on track. It's been pretty helpful. And uh, other than that, everything's pretty good at school and work. All, everything's running along swimmingly. I even went swimming one day. What do you What do you think? Um, what I have today for you is a great uh, interview that uh, with a local athlete, endurance athlete, soon to be triathlete. I hope uh, his name is Dustin. He's a young guy, about twenty eight, uh, who started getting into triathlon about two years ago. And we talk a little bit about his background and how what got him interested in endurance um, sport. And then uh, two years ago, he had the misfortune of being hit by a car on his tri-bike. And uh, we talk about the accident and his subsequent recovery and then his goals for the future. So um, it's quite interesting. Always sort of fun to talk to the locals. Dustin and I have known each other for about three years, but we've actually never met until the last couple of weeks. Even though we've somehow managed to be at the same races a couple of times, but just not connected. So... Nice to finally uh, put a face to a name. Uh, other than that, uh, the I'll do a little outro at the end. And uh, Oh, I should say there's a little bit of noise in the background because we were at Starbucks, but uh, it's not too bad. You can hear us, and I don't think I'll record at the uh, coffee shop again. But overall, it's all good. Thanks for listening. Here is the interview. All right, so um, I've known you for years. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think we met on Daily Mile. Yeah, and I think it was three years ago. Yeah, probably at least that long. And I was just trying to click on all the, the local ones. Whenever I go on to Daily Mile, I just, hang on, I just, um, I click on Kelowna and then I look to see all the people who are on there. So I just, oh, hey, there's people locally, which I was really surprised about because most of the people I know on social media are not local. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And I started clicking on your stuff, and I saw you were kind of talking a little bit about maybe doing track, and that was about three years ago. Yeah. So, I guess, before we talk about your accident and, and your recovery and all that kind of thing, one of the things I kind of want to know is, I don't know much about you uh, in your youth, like, were you athletic um, in school? Like, did you play sports and stuff like that? Well, when I was really young, I was not really a sporty type of kid. I was more concerned about running away from kids trying to beat me up than, uh, than playing on sports teams. But uh, I tried to play things like basketball and soccer, and it never worked out well for me. I just didn't seem to have any kind of endurance. You know, I try to get good at shooting baskets or kicking goals, and I was never good at any of that. So eventually I kind of gave up on any kind of sports. Like you're thinking team sports. Yeah. Right? And then... Uh, a little bit later on, I started delivering papers as a kid. I think I was 12 years old, and you have to do that seven days a week. Right. So I'd get up an hour before they're due, so 6 o'clock in the morning, do my 25 minutes of delivering papers, and eventually I wanted to make more money. So I got more paper routes, 
then I'd have to start going quicker and quicker to get them done on time. So then I bought a bike, and before I knew it, I had six, seven paper routes, and I was basically doing an hour and a half to two hours every morning running wow. and biking with weight on me, Wow! which ended up doing wonders for my endurance base as a kid. Yeah. So you're like, like 12 when you're doing this? Yeah, I started off at 12 years old, and then once I turned 15 or 16, I finally stopped because I went off to get a real job part-time at Walmart just as a stock associate, so pushing carts and that, not really a very active job, but but it made me better money. But about that time, I started doing uh, some running in middle school and high school for gym, and suddenly I started meeting people, and before I knew it, I was, you know, one of the top runners in the class, which... Still wasn't that great of a runner, I mean. But still, yeah. If I went to a track and field meet, I'd get my butt kicked. But So do you think that was because of the sort of the endurance that you built up from the cycling as a kid, right? Absolutely. Right. I, I have no doubt. Right. And a funny thing happened to me uh, when I moved to Calgary. There was a winter where I needed to make some money again, so I started delivering papers in the morning, and most people, when they're older, do it with their car. Right. And I didn't want to spend the money on gas, so I went, I bought a bike, and I started doing papers then, and after two days, my buddy shut down. I was so sore, stiff, I could not move. It was the dumbest thing I ever did. And I realized then how, you know, what kind of shape I was in from delivering papers for, for years and doing that slow progression from just starting off with a few to And that's just higher, because you had a, this sort of lag where you hadn't done any training and then all of a sudden you went back and you thought you could get right back to where you were, but you yeah. know now it takes time to build up to that. Exactly. It was right. it was a pretty uh, painful lesson I had to learn. But Well, I think we all do that whenever we kind of take a little break and that break turns out to be a bit too long and you have to get back at it and you start from scratch again. Yeah, I think that was five, six years later, so so yeah, I had lost all my endurance space. But when I was a kid, I also, uh, my parents would drop me off at the pool every weekend too because mm-hmm. it used to cost two bucks to get into the Y, so yeah. with three kids, drop them off for six bucks and they're good for the afternoon. That's right. So I did a bit of swimming as a kid. Nothing, you know, no laps. But, you know, I, I played in the water, so I'm very comfortable in the water. Right. And I actually had thought about triathlon a little bit when I was a kid, when I was biking and running lots in the mornings, but I never really made any efforts to get into it. figured it was something that I would do when I got older. And so at least you've heard of it and thought about it, though. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, it w- I, I didn't really know much about it or anything at that point. And I'd known about the Ironman that happens out here in Penticton, right. and it was one of those things where, hey, maybe one day I'll go off and do that, but it seemed like such a huge, huge, huge yeah. event that I probably wouldn't have been able to yeah. ever actually get to the point where I could do it comfortably. Yeah, yeah it's big. it is huge. Well, it's huge anyways, but when you, if you're coming from nowhere, you it just seems like it's completely impossible. Oh, yeah. Do you have a coffee or something over there you have to grab? I'm not sure if it's come up. Okay. I'll, go check. I'll let him go. While he's uh, on to get a coffee, we're sitting here at Starbucks and it's a little bit um, noisy, but hopefully you'll hear us. Yeah, I just suddenly realized you're probably waiting because you didn't have anything. All right, so were you in Kelowna all that time? I didn't you mention Calgary, but I grew up in Kelowna. I grew up in Kelowna. I was born in Saskatoon, but we moved here by the time I was like one year old, so I don't remember growing up outside of Kelowna at all. Okay. Yeah. 
then I was in Calgary for about six years after you high were, school. You moved here when you were one. You must have moved here the same year I moved in here then. Because you're the same age as my youngest daughter. Okay. And she was a year old when we came here. Huh. Cologne has changed so much since then. Hey? Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, especially since those fires in 03. Yeah. That made a huge difference. I ended up moving basically right in the middle of when all that was happening. Mm -hmm. Just happened to be when I was moving to Calgary. Then the next time I came here, everything was different because of all the influx of insurance money that yeah. came in. Yeah, especially where, in the area where I am in. Crazy. Okay, so you have that kind of really... But you obviously have some kind of drive. Like, there's not very many 12-year-olds that are going to get out there and, and take seven paper routes. So you've got some kind of inner drive, I can see. Mm -hmm. And I, I see that in your training and just, you know, you're young, but you're, you're, you're a little different than the average... Absolutely. 28-year-old or whatever you are now. Some people say when I put my mind to something, I'm almost, you know, OCD about it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always been like that. If I want something, I do what it takes to make it happen. Right. So you're very goal-oriented. Very much so. Yeah. Okay. And so let's go back a couple years before your accident. And you were kind of, that's when you sort of started training for triathlons. If I remember correctly, maybe you can tell me a little bit about that. It was about... About a, six months to a year before the accident is when I kind of really got the ball rolling. Um, it was a few years after I'd had kids, and I started to realize that I'd even become more sedentary than, than before now that I'm stuck at home all the time. Yeah. And once they started running around, I couldn't really keep up with them comfortably. I mean, I was tired, and I'd look in the mirror, and I'd see all this extra weight on me. Yeah. I mean, I had gained, when I had graduated high school, and in the year after that, with me working in the paint industry, I was about 165 pounds. And at this point, I was up to about 210. Wow. So it was a huge difference yeah, for me. Yeah, it is. I can't and, picture that amount of weight on Well. I mean, I've seen pictures, actually, but still, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I've got I've got pictures. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, once I realized I was above 210 pounds, you know, I, I was depressed for a little while. But right away, decided I'm going to do something about this. Right. I had a really bad Pepsi problem. I drink so much Pepsi, empty calories, tons of them. I remember one weekend, I went and grabbed two 12 packs of Pepsi. And then on Sunday, I went to look in the fridge. We were out of Pepsi, and I was like, who drank all my Pepsi? And then you look at my desk, and you see all these cans stacked up, and you're like, oh, maybe I have a bit of a problem. Okay. So you started to clue in. You've got this Pepsi issue. You put on a bunch of these post-child. It's not just the women that gain weight after having kids, it's also the men. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's hard, It's it, and it's hard lifestyle, and you're young to have kids that age. Yeah, so, yeah, I had kids yeah. pretty young. Yeah, so you've got a lot on your plate. No more than I can handle, though, so. So then, you decided, that was a wake-up call, you decided that? that yeah, that was a wake-up call. Training and 
I also wanted to be healthier for my family as well. I mean, it's one thing to care about whether or not I feel good about myself, but I wanted to set a better example for my children and make sure that I'm going to be able to play with them and be around for them for a long time. So now is the time for me to make the changes before, you know, this extra weight and sedentary lifestyle starts to really sink in and have some negative long-term effects. I hear that a lot from men, more even more so than women, about realizing the importance of being healthy for your family. And I guess maybe that comes with the responsibilities that men feel to have financially and, and also just to be there to watch your kids grow up. You know? I, I definitely think that's part of it for, for a lot of men. Yeah. You know, kind of being wanting to be the breadwinner yeah. but not being in the in proper health for it. I mean yeah. if you end up having a heart attack at fifty years old and they're just starting university and you're supposed to be helping them get through it then what? Yeah. Then yeah. then they don't have the support they want. So. It's interesting the difference between men and women. I think for women so often it's more about how you look. You know, you just look in the mirror and you go, Oh my God, you know thirty extra pounds or forty extra pounds is just well, there was definitely some of that with me as well. well I yeah. mean, I'd look in the mirror and jiggle my belly and my heart would sink. <laughs> so how did you, did you get into some kind of plan? Did you just start doing something every day? How did you do that? I didn't get into a plan at all at first. I just started trying to be a bit more active in general. I started, you know, mowing the lawn more, just trying to get out of the chair more. Right. Because... I'm really bad for sitting on the computer for hours and yes, hours and that. hours. There's only one person online more than me, and that's you. <laughs> but at least I'm now active enough to make up for it, so yeah. it's not so bad. Yeah. But for years and years, you know, I'd be glued to that computer chair, yeah. which obviously, if you're sitting in a computer chair a lot, then your body gets really good at sitting and being hunched over and doing nothing. So I started just trying to get out of the chair more and then, you know, playing with the kids in the backyard a bit more, mowing the lawn myself more. And eventually a friend of mine, Glenn, he's he's a really good runner. He's he's amazing. He's down to a three something kilometer Glenn, now. I, Glenn I've Lear. Seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. is amazing. Oh man. He hasn't been on Daily Mile in more than a year now, yeah. but he's the one that introduced me to Daily Mile. Yeah. Because you can log all your workouts mm-hmm. and there's the social media aspect of it. So he's the one that got me on board on Daily Mile and got me to start take you know, thinking about running a little bit more seriously. So right. so thanks to him. He did pressure me a little bit. Uh, we were we were in sport check one day, and he kept trying to get me to go pick up a good pair of shoes because once I have a good pair of shoes, I'll be able to comfortably run more. Actually, those are the shoes I've got on now. I just use them as you know, just go out and walk shoes because they're yep. no good for running now. But they were they were originally a hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes. But they were on clearance for like 80 bucks, and they were in the buy one, get one free bin. Nice. So it cost me 40 bucks to get into a pair of shoes, and I should have went and gotten a gate analysis to see if I was a pronator or needed a neutral shoe or right. whatever. Thankfully, it was a perfect shoe for me. I've since, since then, I went and saw somebody to see if I'd gotten the right pair of shoes. It had to be perfect for me. So Perfect. no harm, and it was it was the most comfortable pair of shoes I've ever ran in. So that got me running a lot more, and right away he got me to go and buy a Garmin, right. a Garmin three hundred five, and 
being a data junkie, I absolutely loved seeing the map of where I'd gone, the heart rate analysis, seeing the pace all the time. And I had started running, you know, at first it was three, four times a week, and I ended up getting it up to about five times a week regularly. And before I knew it, I was able to run five kilometers at a time. Yeah. And it's just baby steps. You just get there, right? If you want to keep going. I really, obviously, I find the, the data thing just super motivating. It's what got me going, you know. Just, I, ran, I rode my bike 10K today. And next week, I'm going to try 12. And maybe I can ride 10K without taking a, a rest break halfway yeah, through. I'll yeah. never forget that first ride. I had to stop at 5K and <laughs> catch my breath. And it was a totally flat. <laughs> so you start where you are and you just keep going. And so you got a, I remember at some point there you got a road bike or maybe you had a road bike or a tri bike or whatever. Yeah, I picked up, uh, I decided almost right away I wanted to go full on into triathlon instead of just running. I mean, as much as I enjoy running, I love being on the bike. And I'd always been a water kid, so it seemed natural for me to train in all three sports. It would give me a little bit more variety too, that way I don't get burnt out just on running all the time. And I ended up picking up a pretty decent triathlon bike for only 750 bucks. Didn't have any wheels. But it had everything else, and it was it. To date, it's the best bike I have. Even though I've had other bikes, I've spent more money on. And I started riding that. First couple rides, I realized how painful it is to ride a proper road bike or tri bike without bike shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's one thing when you're sore enough for the next day or so, but then when you try to sit back up on that bike and suddenly your sit bones are on fire. Yeah. Oh man, that Funny. was. I think that's one one of the things that turns off people thinking they they think that's it's always going to be like that, you know. Oh my god, I hate this, though. It's only like that for a couple of days. Yeah. A weeks or two, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks at the worst, and then you're good. Yeah, 30 seconds after getting back on the bike, I was like, all right, I'm getting some padded shorts. Yep. I don't care how I look. That's right. My comfort is much more important to me. So. So then you made the, the mental move to bike shorts, and mm-hmm. you got the tri bike, and you started training, and then you should hit the fan. Yeah, I only had my triathlon bike for two, three months. And at this point, I mean, 25 kilometers was a long ride for me, yeah. which which is a drop in the bucket now. Yeah. But I remember going back to my logs and seeing like a 20, 25 kilometer ride. If, if it was further than going down to Abbott and back, yeah. it was a long ride for yeah. me, which was, you know, it's a half hour ride now, so... And, yeah, one day I'm going out on one of my 25, 30-minute training rides. I had ridden my bike down Springfield, and I had turned on to Ben Volen. And I was coming up to a T intersection where, you know, I can keep going straight, and then the T goes off to my right, and there was a car coming, and I didn't see him slow down, signal, just all of a sudden I started seeing him turn into me just as I was entering the intersection. And I had about a split second to react, slam on my brakes, turn just a touch to the side. That way it's not a head-on collision and pop right into the side of them. According to my Garmin, I was going about 40 kilometers an hour and it's like hitting a brick wall. So I went right over the car. Uh, 
the bike actually was relatively unscathed. Um, my rims, which I had just gotten from Brent, a friend of mine, a friend of ours here in Kelowna, I'd just gotten rims from, or wheels from him since my bike didn't come with any. And they were the really nice 60 millimeter deep dish carbon. They were awesome. And they, they couldn't be salvaged. They were, they were destroyed. But the bike itself, other than a couple scuffs on the pedal and a brake lever, the, the bike was completely fine. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm very happy about that. Now, as far as my body goes, I laid there on the ground, started to feel around a little bit. I couldn't get up. Uh, my left shoulder hurt really bad, so I knew that was really messed up. And it turns out my clavicle was broken. Not a big deal. And then I was feeling with my left arm, and I, my hip was in a lot of pain. Unbearable. And I could feel, instead of having this nice smooth hump where the thigh usually is, there was a pretty significant dip in the middle of it. So I, I knew right there, there was something very wrong with my hip. And that was probably one of the worst nights of my life with the thoughts that were going through my head. Because I figured I'd be done in triathlon, that I wouldn't be able to work in my line of work anymore. I'm a residential house painter, I have my own business. So if I can't go up and down ladders and carry equipment around, I can't work anymore and I have to be retrained in something else. So it was a, it was a pretty scary night for me. And you're just laying there. I guess obviously the ambulance came and like the whole thing, it's, the whole situation is pretty traumatic too. I mean, and it, it all happened so quickly too. Yeah. There happened to be an off-duty firefighter right behind me when it happened, so immediately he stopped and he got the ball rolling instantly on getting everybody there. So it was, it seemed like a minute or two, and then there was already an ambulance there. And the off-duty firefighter was kind of keeping everybody clear from around me. And, yeah, right away I'm thrown onto one of those boards where they carry you, but they had to strap me down to it. And, of course, when they strap you down, it tightens your legs together, which hurt my leg a whole lot. But I... I never, I was never knocked out. I was conscious the whole time. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more adrenaline running because that might have helped with the pain a little bit more. But and but, your wife was? Did they call her right away, or did you call her, or what happened? Uh, well, I couldn't. I couldn't call her. I didn't. I didn't uh, have the ability to call her. I was. I didn't have my phone, or I might have. I can't remember. But between you know being basically in pieces. And uh, being strapped down, there was nothing I could do. And actually, my wife, she was a little bit upset at me when I went for my bike ride because I guess she was just finishing making dinner and wanted me to come and eat. And I was like, oh, I'll be back in half an hour. I'll eat after. And she was a little bit upset that I didn't sit down to eat with them. So she's sitting there at home stewing, mad at me. And now you're late. And then suddenly, you know, an hour later, she hasn't heard from me, so she's even more mad. And then finally I get the hospital to, to call her once, you know, they're done looking at me. 
Yeah. And right away, you know, her heart sank. Yeah. All she knew was that I'd been hit by a car and that I was in the hospital. Right. So for all she know, knew, you know, I could be half dead. Yeah. So. And it must have been a hard time for her then. And she said home with those two kids. And it was. It was. What are it you was really do? rough. You guys have family in town. Uh, my parents live in town, and I have a couple of sisters in town as well. So that night, they all, um, the kids and Julie stayed at my parents' place. Mm-hmm. She was there for a couple of days before before they came back home because they they definitely needed the support yeah. emotionally. So, so you get to the hospital, you get all sussed out, they get settled, and and they realize, okay, you've got some pretty serious damage here. Yeah. And what was the, the sort of that first week or so like um, physically and mentally? Uh, well, mentally, the first two days were the hardest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably, you know, I cried in the hospital two, three times over those couple days. Mm-hmm. The one time when I'm sitting on the board in pieces getting ready for surgery. And then the next was when I was talking to, I think it was a social worker or something. Just about the different programs that are available for for my situation and such, and you know, she she asked about my situation, about my family and kids and that, and and at that point, I had kind of broken down too, because because I had no idea what to do. Well, you're and, self-employed too, right? So it's not like you have all those social network available yeah, to you. Yeah, I don't like... didn't have any kind of employment insurance. Yeah. all I had was whatever I was able to get out of the insurance from the guy that hit me. Right. So. And that can be a lengthy process. Mm-hmm. So you had a, t- a couple of tough first days, and then they sort of figured out, okay, well, here's your prognosis. Did you, how, what was that? What was the prognosis at that point? Well, they were, they were a little bit more confident than I was right from the beginning. I mean, I'm sitting there. It feels like my world's falling apart. Uh, they weren't sure whether or not I'd be able to be nearly as active as I used to be, but they were pretty confident that I'd at least, for the most part, be able to get back into my work at least. So at least my livelihood wouldn't be at risk. It would take some time for me to be able to start going up and down ladders, and I might be a little bit more slow, but... They were. They seemed pretty confident that I'd at least be able to get back to work eventually. Right. But they they didn't really uh, tell me that I'd be able to start running or biking. They seemed a little bit more. Uh, they seemed to waver at that a little bit. They more. just didn't know Dustin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go back there with your garment saying, "Here's my 250-kilometer <laughs> bike ride I did today." By the way, you guys. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> so, they did surgery. How many surgeries did you have? Just one? Just, just one surgery. What um, did they do? I, my femur was broken right at the femoral head. So right where there's, it's called the femoral neck, and then it's got the head that actually goes into the into the hip joint. Okay. So yeah. I've got two titanium rods inside the bone, yeah. one that goes from the very top of the femur down to the knee with a couple screws at the knee, yeah. and then one that goes into the femoral head and then wow. some kind of connection there. So I've got four scars. One of them is very long, and then three of them are shorter from, from all the openings for all yeah. the hardware that they put in. And it was... Yeah, my leg was pretty mangled after that for a while. And so, were you? How long were you be, actually bedridden for from that? 
I was only bedridden for a couple of days. I was in the hospital, I think, less than a week. Okay, that's not too bad then when you think about it. No, but uh, the day after my surgery, they wanted me to get out of bed and start walking a little bit with a walker. I was lucky that they had cleared me for 50% weight-bearing right away, which means which means I can walk with a walker mm-hmm. or with crutches, but I can't put more than 50% of my body weight on the bad leg. Right. If the break had been a little bit different, then I could have been zero weight bearing for six months. The guy that was actually next to me in the same room, um, actually our room is funny, we were called the pain room because him and I had the two most painful injuries in the whole ward. So we were, we had the most painkillers as well. But uh, yeah, him and I, we both had very similar injuries. He had fallen off a ladder and had a very similar uh, femur break right at the hip. And he had a, he had a screw put in but he wasn't allowed to put any weight on his leg for six months. Wow. So I think, you know, that makes a big difference in in your prognosis for recovery because I was able to start getting the muscles working again a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Right, so where was I? Well, we were just, you are just telling me a little bit about your recovery. So you've got the first, you, you were lucky that you were oh, able yeah. to get moving right away. Yeah, I was able to get moving right away. Uh, the first day after the surgery... I had a physiotherapist come in and try to see if I could even get off the bed, but I couldn't move at all. My leg was in such pain, I mean a slight muscle twitch, and I was virtually screaming in pain. So even though they wanted to get me onto a walker and moving around the ward a little bit, I couldn't do anything. I was just in so much pain. So the physiotherapist told me, all right, come back the next day. And then about an hour later, my doctor dropped in and kind of gave me a bit of a talking to because he wanted me to get moving right away. And I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was so important, but I was also in so much pain that the physiotherapist said, you know, gave up. So as much as I wanted to move, it was, it wasn't something I could do. So the next day I was able to get to the point where I could stand up off the bed, but I needed two people to help me move my leg because if my leg twisted at all, that would cause me a ton of pain. But if it was kept perfectly straight as I got off the bed and then just uh, a very slight bend in the knee because everything was so tight, I could could get virtually no uh, no bending of the knee at all. Right. Made standing up a lot more a lot more difficult, and then trying to sit back down on the bed and lay back down with having the leg go up at the same time without it twisting. It was it was a big job. Yeah. So by by day three or four in there, I finally got moving on the walker a little bit. The problem with the walker is I had a broken collarbone too. Right. So how do you use a walker when you've only got one good arm? One arm, one good leg, one good arm. And they're both on the same side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it was it was an interesting couple days, but by day four or five I was able to do a couple laps of the ward and I was able to go up and down the little flight of stairs that they have set up to for people to see how they can do on stairs if they have stairs at home. Right. That way they could discharge me. Yeah. So I grabbed a cane and it took me about 10 minutes of figuring it out, but once I figured out how I could get up and down the little flight of stairs, they said I was able to go home. Nice. Yeah. So. 
that it was just a matter of pain management. Right. And they tried to wean me off the medication that they had there a little quicker than I would have liked. <laughs> and it was, it was really bad. I had... They went from giving me a full dose of my medication to zero wow. without telling me. And it got to the point where... I had probably six, seven ice packs all lined up on my leg. They'd given me some Tylenol as a replacement to see how I did with that. And then finally I talked them into giving me one of the pills they were supposed to give me. An hour later, you know, everything was burning. Finally, they bring me the second pill. And within 20 minutes, I passed out. And I'm not very good at passing out when I'm in pain, but my body had, was was worked up so much and so in shock from yeah. from the amount of pain that I was in that as soon that as it started to clear up, I was I was out. Wow. And then I woke up and I was all sweaty and gross, yeah. and it was it was terrible. Wow. So. And so eventually, you get home and you're I mean you know the, the worst of it. You start to heal up. Your shoulder gets better, and you're kind of now you're just you're able to kind of walk. And how do you? get yourself back from just being functional to, to being back as an athlete. Well, it, that's a long haul for you. it was a really, really long, long progression. And I'm, I mean, I feel like I'm still working on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even today, uh, I've got to work on my gluteus medius, right. which was an issue right from the beginning, but I had strengthened it enough that I could walk without having any more of a pelvic tilt. Right. Where now, now that I've started to do weights again, specifically for triathlon, I've noticed a little bit of that pelvic tilt is coming back just when I'm doing step-ups with weights. So over the past six, seven months, I've been working really hard on trying to identify any discrepancies I still have and trying to make make everything the same, which yeah. is re- which is really tough. It's yeah. it's hard to get rid of muscle balance. Yeah, and and the glue meat is like a classic oh. um, weakness for all cyclists and runners anyway. So and it's a very important pulse. running muscle too. Yeah. So. And so you you weren't able to run for a long time. You got back on the bike really quickly. I was amazed how fast you were able to get back on the bike and not be freaked out emotionally, which is another thing, right? Riding in traffic, does that scare you? Oh, no. It, I was actually really surprised by how little it did scare me. I mean, at first, at first I wasn't able to do anything. I mean, I'd come home and the most I could do was, you know, do a couple laps around Walmart in my walker. And I actually remember I posted that as yeah. a workout on Daily Mile. And a lot of people kind of gave me a bit of a hard time, but, you know, they were really nice about it because they obviously yeah. knew where I was coming from. Yeah. But I remember even Brent had said if anybody else had put this workup out, I'd be, you know, I'd be giving them a hard time. But yeah. knowing where you are, that's, you know, that's awesome. That's a good <laughs> so Walmart laps, one of my most memorable workouts. Yeah. But, uh... I got a gym membership through through the insurance to uh, help yeah. help get my muscles all all back up to par. I started doing a lot of pool work, and I got onto the gym bikes, which are absolutely horrible, but mm-hmm. it's a lot better than nothing. And then after six months of working in the pool and working on the gym bike, and basically doing a lot of kind of self massage on the bad leg because mm-hmm. my quads were so mangled and damaged and they were so tight 
I spent probably two hours a day just rubbing my quad as I was sitting there on the couch doing nothing else. And once I started seeing a physiotherapist, she was actually really impressed with how, how good a shape my quads were in. Because she said, usually, they're all mangled and gross. And then I told her how basically I've been rubbing them down for like two hours a day just because it's sore and that seems to help it. Uh, she was super happy with that. And I had gotten most of my knee flexibility back. I was actually at the point where I could sit on my feet within three, four months. So I, kind of, I remember the progression. I don't remember the time. So how long was it until you were able to start trying to run again? Uh, well, running was almost two years. Yeah. Uh, the main problem with running is that the location of the break in the femur was an area of low blood flow. So even though the x-rays looked good and the bone looked strong enough to support running, the issue was if I'm running on it, that's a lot of impact on the, yeah. on the top of the femur which will wear down the bone, and if there is any kind of interruption of that blood flow, then it couldn't keep up with how quickly I'm wearing it down for healing it back up. So if I started running on it regularly, and then all of a sudden I start having really bad pain, then the top of the bone could be dead and it could be past the point where they could do anything about it. And which, then you have long-term lasting effects that will affect well, then, the Well, then, then I would need uh, then I need a full hip replacement. Yeah. There's no, no, no more they can do about it at that point. And at my age, a hip replacement is devastating. Yep. You can only, they only last so long and you yep. only have it redone so many times. So that would be, that would be life-changing. So two years without, two years without running, which, uh, which is finally over. Yeah. And it was seven months before I was cleared to start working again and getting on the bike a bit. But as soon as I hit that seven month mark, I got on my bike and I started riding down the road. Yeah. The, the day I was cleared, I went home and I just got on my bike. Yeah. And it was it was liberating. When was the accident? What was the day, month, uh, the year? It was October 2010. 2010, 11, 12. So we're just at the two-year mark then. Yeah, and so we're just at the two-year mark now. So, so what I what I actually started to do a little bit early, uh, I didn't really have the clearance to do it, but I felt that I knew my body well enough that I could. Uh, start putting a little bit of impact on the bone, but I was super, super, super careful about it. I didn't go and start running 20 kilometers a week without, you know, doctor clearance. Uh, What I would do is, since I was at the gym anyways, I then would go to the walking track and i just do two, three laps, you know, just a couple hundred meters and that's it. And it didn't feel too good. I mean, because there was so much healing to do and all the muscles were in bad shape, it hurt. But I would do that once a week, which is very, very, very little impact. And I was still having, you know, semi-regular checkups anyways, and everything kept looking good. And then I very slowly started to increase that as the pain went away. So the less pain there was, then I knew I could go just a little bit more and a little bit more. And I got to the point where I was able to do about a kilometer and I tried not to go past that point until I had any kind of full clearance because I didn't want to do too much damage to it. And when I was talking to the doctor before, he, he just said I couldn't you know, go jog regularly, but he had no problem if I'm playing with my kids, chasing them after them a bit or so something no like that. So that really. 
So yeah, I figure if it's very short distances, then then it wouldn't be a problem. And if I ended up having, uh, you know, anything come up on the X-ray from the little bit that I was doing, then then we'd know. But now I'm just before the two-year mark. I've I've now been cleared to to run as much as I want. And and does he have any worries about you long term? No. no. Nothing. That's good. I mean, you know, you've got youth on your side, so that's going to help obviously. And meanwhile, through all of that, you were, you know, in the last year, you're biking a lot. Oh. I mean, your cycling oh, yeah. is just really a pretty amazing what you're able to do. You blow me away anytime I see you. Well, my first summer cycling wasn't nearly as good as this last summer. Now, the first summer, I mean, I finally did my first full century ride so 160 some kilometers last summer and that was a huge achievement for me I was super happy with it Uh, my main issue was my left knee area because of the screws near it had weakened the the quads right above it and I'd have you know pretty significant knee knee pain you know it's not the actual knee joint but right around the knee so I always call it knee pain but it's just above the knee so it ended up actually interfering with my work which was really bad because if I'm not making money then I don't have the money to train yeah that's right so bucks exactly so as much as my cycling was improving last summer I started to have issues when I was having jobs where I had more ladder work because it's the exact same muscles going up a ladder as cycling for the quads and I had to make a decision either I stop working or I stop riding So I ended up having to make the decision to stop riding for a while. And I basically went the entire winter without touching my bike, which which really sucked. I ended up up gaining a bunch of weight back and my dietary habits when I'm not training and when I'm sitting at home and kind of depressed, frankly, they they go down the toilet. I'm a very emotional eater. I pick back up on my Pepsi problem, pizza, chips, just garbage, garbage. And I had a bit of an eye-opener, actually, just before Christmas of this last year, because Brent, uh, he, his family does um, an interior blind company, so we were working on the same job site. I was painting the house, they needed some blinds done, and I saw a few names written down. I was like, get them to come in, they're they're awesome. So he came in, and while he was there, we talked a little bit. So he asked me, you know, how much are you riding your bike these days? And my heart kind of sank a little bit because I could, I knew I'd obviously put on a significant amount of weight, and anybody could see that. And I hadn't been biking at all, so I kind of had to, you know, mumble that no, I haven't really been doing much. As much as I wanted to, it, it still felt bad to admit that I wasn't that I wasn't cycling. So. What ended up happening was October, November, I finally settled with the insurance company. Uh, it actually settled a lot earlier than I expected because we had a very early trial date. Uh, it was pretty aggressive because we had a really, really good case. And thanks to wearing the Garmin and having all the data about the accident, the exact time, the speed of the impact, uh, uh, whether or not I was doing anything wrong because they had the data of my exact motion, motions. Uh, there was there was a little bit of a problem with it. It was just after sunset, so the sun had just gone down, but it was still dusk. It hadn't caught, quite gotten dark yet, and here in BC, 
you have 30 minutes after sunset before you have to wear a light. Right. And I didn't have a light on yet, but I was going to be back before it would be dark anyways. And the first thing the guy that hit me had said was, it was too dark. I didn't see him. So right away, that cuts my settlement in half because it's 50% put on me. But because I was wearing the Garmin, which takes the time from the GPS satellites, so I can't mess with it, they knew the exact time of impact, and you can just look up on the internet what the exact sunset time was. Right, perfect. So... That's good. You know, I never thought about how the Garmin can be helpful in that. Oh, my lawyers were amazed by the data I had for them about the accident, so... They, they said they'd never seen that kind of data before. <laughs> so they were very happy. That's amazing. And so, oh, I had a question. Um, so what's, uh, I guess, what's the plan now, I guess? Um, what's the plan now? Like, what's your, you've, you've registered for Ironman next year. Yeah, yeah, I registered for Challenge Penticton, mm-hmm. which is the old Ironman Canada, yeah. as you know. And the plan now is... Obviously, I'm working on some of my weaknesses. I'm just about to start getting proper swimming lessons from mm-hmm. Rob Swan here in town. Yep. And work on my work mostly on my running and swimming for the, the next few months yep. during the winter time. I know I've got a really really good cycling base. Yeah. I mean, I did a couple double centuries yeah. this summer, and one of my rides had 13,000 feet of climbing in them. So. Well, you rode the uh, entire Ironman Canada course couple of weeks apart with uh, in, and included a ride from Kelowna down to the start and back. So. Yep, rode from Kelowna yeah. to Penticton and then rode the Ironman bike course and then rode back and then the next weekend went and did it again. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> if you can do that, I think you probably got that course nailed. Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. And then it'll just be the swim and throwing throw that run after, after yeah. that bike, which is always the challenge. And I've gotten myself up to about 22, 23 kilometers mm-hmm. on the run now, so, yeah. so i got plenty of time to yeah. make, up, uh, make up the rest of the distance. Yeah. I might even do uh, the Vancouver Marathon uh, in May, because mm-hmm. then if I can do a full marathon in May, then I know I've got several months to be able to do it after a bike ride. And so are you going to do any other triathlons before that race, any smaller ones? I've got the Oliver Half Iron that I've signed up for in June. And I'm toying with the idea of maybe doing the Desert Half halfway between them. So then I'd have a Half Iron, and then six weeks later, a Half, and then about six weeks later, the Full. So I think it'll be a pretty good summer if I do do those four events. I think that I think that's manageable. Knowing what you're like and your abilities, I think that's good. So, you know, going through this kind of tragedy in, in a way, difficulties at your age, you know, like that can be kind of life change. Did you look? Do you look at life a little differently now that you've been through sort of sort of almost a near death kind of experience, or do you think it didn't really change it that way? Um. Well. I'd always kind of seen seen death as something that's inevitable anyways. And my main fear when I do eventually pass away is not so much that I'm going to miss out, but that my family that I leave behind, the impact that's going to make on them. Yeah. And then once I did get in the accident, 
you know, it, it made me think about that a little bit more. My my position hasn't changed, but I'm a little bit more aware of it yep. more often now. Do you appreciate life a little more now, or do you look at life a little bit differently in that respect? Just to saying, whoa, you know, life is so precious, it goes so quickly. Yeah, definitely. I I try to try to take advantage of the time I have a little bit more. And I mean, it's actually funny. Uh, you're the the song you play at the end of the podcast. Yeah. The first couple of times I heard it, you know, I didn't pay much attention to it. But the the more it was played, uh, and I listened to it, the more I felt, you know, I could actually apply a lot of that yeah. to uh, to my views. So, good lyrics, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very very good song. I, I really like it, good. and it definitely it definitely applies, you know try to take advantage of the time I do have yeah. I mean who knows when the next life changing thing that could happen where I might not be able to do the things I really enjoy so right. you know take advantage of my youth now yeah. while I'm still young right. and then when I'm older I'll have such a huge endurance space that I can keep doing the things I like that's right rather that the key than, is just like Eric who's now joined us he's trying to keep on that right through uh yeah, I'm, trying totally to, I'm trying to take advantage of my youth when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Well, anything else you want to say or anything else you want to tell us before I hit the stop button? Um, I, I asked all the questions. Nothing in particular that I can think about. No. I mean... Right. Well, we will follow your uh, training over the next year pretty closely and see how things go. I'm excited to, to watch. I always love to see these guys who are able to just go out and just freaking do it. Huh? Well, hopefully, I don't. Hopefully, I don't flop. No, you won't. You won't. I, I have no doubt that it's going to be. You know, it'll be different, but it'll be. Um, I think you'll finish it and do well. Well, now with the money that I put out for it as well, yeah. that's a little bit extra motivation to uh, to keep up the training. Yeah. So. That's a sport for especially for someone your age, you know? Oh, yeah. When we're kind of getting on and we've retired and our houses are paid off and stuff like that, we can kind of, you know, you got a little bit of more disposable money, but not when you're young. <laughs> no, no. Having two young kids and, yeah. and all the costs associated with that. Yeah, that's right. you got to be able to justify that with your wife, too, I'm sure. Yep, yep, that and of course the time commitment as well. And the time, yeah. The time commitment is definitely gets in the way a little bit. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. All right, good talking to you. I'm glad that uh, you were able to come and have coffee. And it's kind of nice we actually got to meet after. Yeah, yeah, finally. <laughs> after after years, we finally got Three to sit years. down and have a chat. So. That's right. All right, I'm going to hit pause. So that was great. I really enjoyed getting to uh, have a little chat with Dustin. I've seen him a couple of times since then. He's been doing a lot of the local races as well as volunteering. And uh, I actually met up with him last weekend during for the final cyclocross race in town. Eric um, actually had a chance to go do cyclocross on Wednesday night. And uh, it was unfortunately the last one we have, first opportunity we've had to go. And it was really fun. I was watching because I don't have a cyclocross bike and my bike skills are so crappy. I felt really intimidated, but I had a little bit of a chance. Jason grabbed somebody's bike. I didn't know whose it was, and he let me try it. I didn't have, I had my boots on with the heels, and I had no helmet, but I rode around on this guy's cyclocross bike that was too big for me, and it was super, super fun. And I've been planning for quite a while to sell my mountain bike and because I think it's too big for me and I never ride it or rarely ride it. 
and and sell my old giant OCR1 road bike. And if I did so, I would have enough money to buy a cross bike. Now, it's not that I want to buy a cross bike to get into cross racing, because that's not my thing for sure. But I want it because I can put uh, a pa- panniers on it and we can do some um, on-road, off-road uh, touring. And that's one thing that Eric and I would like to do. So I think I might do that. And then, you know, what the heck, maybe do some of the races totally for fun. No opportunity for racing because I would not be that good. But that'd be okay. It might be just a fun thing to do. So uh, coming up next for me is the pub run. We didn't do it last year. I couldn't rally a team. But this year we got a daily miler team for local guys. So there's Jason SP on uh, Daily Mile and Dustin Q and Kelowna Guy and Kelowna Girl and Melissa, 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 I can't remember her last name can't remember the letter of her last name. Anyways, it's two L's and two S's. So if you look up Melissa from Kelowna, she is another teacher. And we have one other guy named another Jason. So uh, he's another local guy. So we got six people to do the race. And we're going to run one leg each. The legs run anywhere from a a short but very steep uphill 2.6K. And the longest leg is about 7.1K. When you finish your leg, you have to drink a beer. The rest of the gang are in a, in the van, and we're driving from one pub to the next. And then as soon as they finish, they down the beer. When the runner downs the beer, then the next runner gets to leave and run to the next pub when the rest of us all follow in the car. And, yeah, it's really good times. Given that it's November, it's pretty chilly and snowy often. Maybe not snow on the ground, but it could be as cold as that we are wearing costumes we're going to wear a daily mile um logo on our chests we're going to be superheroes with capes and uh we're all we'll all wear black tights because it'll be wintry cold uh whatever kind of top and uh apparently underwear over top of our types tights so yeah that should be interesting i think the boys are going with boxers we'll have to see what happens with that and of course the cape so we will be the daily mile um superhero team pretty fun i think uh and after the race there's a big uh, buffet lunch and prizes door prizes and everything so super fun so uh that's it that's on november 18th uh, between now and then i'm going to be pretty busy with school and things so i've got another couple of possibilities of people i would like to sit down and have a chat with so if i have time i'll try and get those up in the next few weeks all right take care and i hope your training's going well see you later the sun must say